Please do turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and I shall read from verse 18. Paul writing, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, as we come before uh, your written word now, may you give us clarity of mind and of thought. Pray that we will have receptive hearts to the message that you would have us here tonight. And I pray for myself that you would give me clarity of voice so that the words I speak may be your words 
and my thoughts your thoughts and that we may leave here tonight after the reading of your word and after this sermon that your greater glory would be our prime concern Amen and I wonder what you thought as the Bible passage was being read I wonder what you are undergoing currently in your life what trials and sufferings and one thing that unites all humanity in fact all creation is that suffering comes to us all in one way or another whether that be physical, psychological, emotional or spiritual suffering it is common to all people of all time of all cultures, countries and nations and of course there are no easy answers as to the ultimate cause of suffering and you may also be wondering if God has somehow separated himself from you during your pains and your trials so what is a Christian perspective on suffering so let's look together at this most wonderful wonderful piece of scripture and firstly we can see that we have freedom that there will be freedom from pain from pain and suffering and firstly creation groans in verses 18 to 22 when God finished his creation it was a good creation Genesis 1 verse 31 tells us and perfect but today today it is an imperfect groaning creation there is suffering and death there is pain all of which is of course the result of Adam's sin it's not the fault of creation and note the the words Paul used to describe the plight of creation suffering pride bondage decay and pain however this groaning is not a useless thing since Paul now compares it to a woman giving birth there is pain in childbirth but the pain will end or at least the physical pain will end when the child is born and one day one glorious day creation will be delivered and the groaning creation will become once again a glorious creation can't wait and as people of God's kingdom as Christians we should not focus on the sufferings of today but look forward to the coming glory that Paul talks about in Romans 8.18 and he talks about it also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today's groaning bondage will be exchanged for tomorrow's glorious freedom freedom and the members of the kingdom also groan in verses 23 to 25 and the reason as Christians we groan is because we have experienced what the Apostle Paul calls the first fruits of the Spirit. It's a foretaste of the glory to come and we shall live with our King in glory forever and ever. And just as the nation of Israel tasted the first fruits of Canaan when the spies returned in Numbers 12, 23-27, so too we who are Christians have tasted the blessings of heaven through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this should encourage us to want to see the Lord, to receive our new bodies and live with him and serve him forever and ever in everlasting life. 
and we're waiting, we're groaning for this adoption, or at least I know I am, which is the redemption of the body when Jesus Christ returns according to Paul in Philippians 3 verse 20 to 21. This is the thrilling climax to the adoption that took place when we were converted, when we first started believing in Jesus, when the spirit of adoption gave us the standing of an adult in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus Christ returns, and he will return, we who are Christians shall enter that promised land and into our full inheritance. And meanwhile, meanwhile we wait and hope, as Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 24, for we are saved by that hope. You may well be asking, what hope is this? Well, Paul elsewhere, in Titus 2 verse 13, describes it as the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. The best is yet to come, people. And as people of the kingdom of God, as Christians, as God's children, we should not get frustrated as we see and experience suffering and pain in this world as we live in the kingdom. As Christian believers, we should know and remember that the suffering of today will one day give way to eternal glory. Then thirdly, not only the creation that groans, and as God's people we also groan, but what about God? Is he a distant God who's not interested or concerned with the sufferings of his creation or his people? By no means! Our God is not a distant God, but a God actively concerned for his creation and for his people. God is concerned about the sufferings we endure we go through. He desires for the redemption of both his creation and his people. When Jesus Christ walked the earth, he saw what was sin was doing to men and women. And today God the Holy Spirit groans with us and he feels the burdens of our weaknesses and our suffering. But the Spirit does more than just groan. He prays for us in his groaning so that we might be led into the will of God. We do not always know God's will. We do not always know how to pray. But, but the Spirit intercedes for us so that we might live in the will of God even though we are suffering in some way. The Holy Spirit shares the burden with us as we endure and persevere. And I'd like to read again verse 28. And I like the way the message paraphrases it. And it says, That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. This verse surely ranks as one of the, the greatest and most comforting verses in the Bible. Millions of Christians down through the centuries and even today have taken great comfort and hope from this verse. In all things God works for our good. Now the phrase all things, or as the message puts it, every detail of our lives, includes not only the good, the happy and the pleasant things of life, but also the bad, the unhappy, and the unpleasant things as well. And my friend, 
my friend who recently got married and went on honeymoon, her husband died through drowning. And we've had to comfort her, not through words, but through our actions. And one day, maybe she'll know the reason why her husband had to die in that drowning. So our lives don't just include the good, the happy and the pleasant, but the bad, the unhappy and the unpleasant. And this includes evil, sickness and death. At the times when we're happy and things are going well, it's very easy to agree with this verse. But in times of trouble, as with my friend who is undergoing those things, this verse is hard to understand and comprehend and still harder to believe. Now, however, another question should naturally arise in our thinking. If in every detail of our lives God works for our good, does that term all things or every detail include Satan, his henchmen and his evil works? Does God use Satan and his evil works for our good? You could, as some people do, argue that if the work of the devil can be used for our good, then Satan is not our enemy but our friend. And a lot of Christians think like that sometimes. However, as part of biblical balanced believing, the three B's, the Bible clearly teaches us that the devil is our enemy. In this world, old hairy legs Satan and his evil works and his henchmen are looking to cause harm and trouble and mischief and not to help in any way whatsoever. There are thousands if not millions of Christians who have spent their lives in jail even in this century, in this in this world or have been killed for their faith. We cannot possibly say that all things have been for their good in this world. Then how are we to understand this verse? We must understand it this way. All the things that happen to us here on this earth God will work for our good in heaven when we are with him. In the previous verses we have learnt about our future hope and our future glory. Therefore in this verse the good that Paul talks about is our heavenly good, not our earthly good. On earth old hairy legs' power is great. But when we are in heaven he will have no power at all because he will not be there but cast away. In heaven, all of Satan's earthly evil will be turned to our good and to God's greater glory. But having said that, it is also true that God is concerned for our welfare in this life. He cares about our bodies, our health, even our food and our clothing. Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 33, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, food, clothing, shelter, etc., will be given to you as well. When God allows trouble to come into our lives, he usually uses that trouble to bring about some good result in our lives here on earth. Romans 5 verse 3 to 4 and James 1 verse 2 to 4. It is through troubles and that our faith is tested and made strong, 1 Peter 1 verse 6 to 7. Through various kinds of trouble 
God disciplines us so that we might become more righteous, according to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. And we must also remember that God's power is much greater than that of the devil. The devil cannot alter God's ultimate plan for our lives. The most important thing to remember about this verse, however, is that the promise given here is given only to those who love God and have been called according to his purpose, the members of the kingdom of God. And he called all people to come into that kingdom. Yet some reject it. And if we love God, we are called according to his purpose. And we are therefore members of the kingdom of God. And then we can fully trust him to work for our good in all things. Our hope is in God. He is faithful and able to fulfill all he has promised. And those that are in the kingdom of God that would call themselves believing Christians should never give up in times of trouble, trial and suffering because God is at work in the world and he has a perfect and supreme plan. Romans 8 verse 29 God has two purposes in that plan, our good and his glory. Ultimately, we will all be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Best of all, God's plan will succeed. He has the victory, and that victory was gained at the cross of Calvary. It started in eternity when he chose us in Christ. He predestined that one day we would be like his son. Predestination applies only to those in the kingdom of God, not to those outside the kingdom. Nowhere are we taught in scripture that God chooses who will remain outside the kingdom. If people remain outside the kingdom, it is because they choose to by refusing to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Those whom he chose, he called. When they responded to his call, he justified them and he also glorified them. This means that the believer has already been glorified in Jesus. The revelation of the glory awaits the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, how can we believers ever be discouraged and frustrated when we already share the glory of God? Our suffering today of whatever measure only guarantees much glory when Jesus Christ returns. And then secondly, there's freedom from the fear of separation from God. Sometimes we fail to trust in God when we go through hard times and suffering, that's normal. It's natural for us to think then that maybe I am somehow separated from God and from the kingdom as a result of my failure. The emphasis of this section, section uh, is the security of the believer. We do not need to fear the past, present or the future because we are secure in the almighty love of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And there are five reasons why we are secure and will never be separated from God if we remain in Him. Firstly, God is for us. Verse 31. God the Father is for us and has proved it by giving His Son. Verse 32. God the Son is for us. Verse 34. And so is God the Holy Spirit. Verse 26. Sometimes, perhaps, we are like Jacob and cry, All these things are against me, when actually everything is working for us. As Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? As we enter each day, we should realise and be thankful that God is for us. 
There is no need to fear anything, for the loving Father desires only the best for his children, even if they must go through some suffering to receive his best. For I know the plan that I have for you, declares the Lord. These are plans for good and not for evil, in order to give you a future and a hope, wrote the prophet Jeremiah. And secondly, Christ died for us. If when we were outside the kingdom of God as non-believers, God gave us his best, now that we are his children, will he not give us all that we need? Jesus Christ used this same argument when he tried to convince people that it was foolish to worry and fear about anything. God cares for the birds and the sheep and even for the flowers in the fields, so surely he will care for you. God is dealing with his people on the basis of grace, freely giving, always giving, all things necessary to his people in his kingdom. Then thirdly, God has justified us, verse 33. This means that he has declared us righteous in Jesus Christ and members of his kingdom. Satan, old hairy legs, would like to accuse us. We know that from scripture. But we who are in the kingdom of God are to stand firm in Jesus Christ. We are God's chosen people in Jesus Christ and we are accepted. God would not accuse us since it is he who has justified us and set us free. For him to accuse us would mean that his salvation was a failure and we are still in our sins. He has declared us innocent and we are not guilty. We may accuse ourselves and people may accuse us but God will never take us to court and accuse us. He has already declared us innocent if we trust in him. And Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty and we are secure in him if we have taken him up on that offer. And then fourthly, Jesus Christ intercedes for us in verse 34. How amazing is this? Both God the Holy Spirit And Jesus Christ, God's Son, pray for us. The same Saviour who died for us is now praying for us as he ascended into heaven. And as Jesus Christ is also our interceding high priest, he can also give us the grace we need to overcome temptation and defeat the enemy. As our advocate before the Father, he can forgive our sins and restore our fellowship with God. And intercession here means that Jesus Christ represents us before the throne of God and we do not have to represent ourselves. For if we had to represent ourselves, we would fail and we would be guilty and we would still be in our sin. And then lastly, Christ loves us. In the previous verses, Paul has proven that God cannot fail us, but is it possible that we can fail him? Suppose some great trial or suffering comes and we fall and fail. What then? Paul deals with this problem and explains that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And two points to note here. Firstly, that God does not shelter us from the sufferings and hard times of life. He doesn't do that because he knows we need them for our spiritual growth. And as we read in verse 28, yet again, God assures us that the difficulties of life are working for us and not against us. God allows trials and sufferings to come that they may be used for our good and for his greater glory. 
we endure trials for his sake. And since we do, do you think that he will abandon us? Of course not, by no means. Instead, he comes closer to us through the hard times. And secondly, he gives us the power to conquer and overcome, says verse 37. We are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors for the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory and he adds victory upon victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again three days later, victory was assured. Victory was won. And we need not fear life nor death, events past, events today or events in the future, because Jesus Christ loves us and gives us the victory. This is not a promise with conditions attached. It is not if you do this, God will do that. If you do this, God might do that. The security we have in Jesus is established and we claim it for ourselves or we are to claim it for ourselves because we are in Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing, nothing and nobody can separate us from Jesus Christ if we believe in him and therefore we should believe it and rejoice in it and remember it, not forgetting it. Half of our problems are when we forget who we are in Jesus Christ and what we are to do. Remember who you are. Remember why you are undergoing these things. And so in conclusion, we have seen that that God is not distant, but is close and upfront and personal and intimate. He desires intimacy. He desires to hear from you and to hear your voice. He cares for his creation and for his people through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. We have seen that one day we will have freedom from pain and suffering. And we also saw that there is to be no fear from separation from God if we hold on to him. God is for us. Christ died for us. God has declared us to be his sons and daughters if we choose to follow him. He calls us to follow him. Jesus Christ prays for us and he loves us. And so what about you? And I guess there are two kinds of people here tonight. If you are a Christian here tonight, the torment and the suffering we all endure today, just like my friend who I talked about a little bit, who lost her husband on their honeymoon. We are all part of living in the kingdom of God. And as Christians, it's part of our Christian life to suffer for the kingdom through such things as persecution and death and sickness. It is as we look to the future, as we see that these things that are temporarily making us suffer are conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ and to the supreme glory of God and not for our own sakes and for ourselves. In any pain or suffering we endure, we shouldn't give up because God has not given up on us. Get up! And go from here, knowing that God is holding your hand in these hard times. He wants to fold you in his arms and encompass you with great compassion. Keep holding to him, because he is holding to you with his outstretched arms. We know from the book of Revelation that when that momentous day in history comes about, that our God will take our face in his hands and he will wipe away our tears of sadness. And if you happen not to be a Christian here tonight, 
one thing separates you from God now, and that is your own sin, which God did not create. If you are not yet a Christian here, and you are not in his kingdom, you are already separated from God. If you do not want to be separated from him, you want to be in his kingdom, you simply have to trust in Jesus Christ for your life and believe in him for your future. And if that is you, please, I implore you, do not leave here tonight without talking to somebody about how you can take that step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these most magnificent words from the Apostle Paul. Thank you that you are not a God who is distant and impersonal, but you are a God who is close and personal and wants to be intimate with your people. For those of us who are enduring, may you be that great God of comfort. Help us to know that you supply all our needs. And Father, I pray for those here tonight who do not know you yet personally, that you even now may continue to keep calling them to return into a relationship with you. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.